The biggest story in land use in Charlottesville this year continues to be generated by the Seville Plans Together initiative, an effort by a consultant hired by city council to update the comprehensive plan and produce a new zoning ordinance to encourage and implement the creation of additional housing units. Council adopted a new affordable housing plan in March. That was the first item that the firm Roadside and Harwell was tasked to complete. In this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, the sole item is a rundown of the Charlottesville Planning Commission's June 29, 2021 work session on the plan. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. Support for this program comes from the quarter of the audience that has opted to make a financial contribution. My company is called Town Crier Productions, and the idea is to continue making podcasts and newsletters about the community, continuing my career doing nuts and bolts journalism about how things work or don't work. I do know my work proceeds better if I can pay my bills, so do consider subscribing through Substack or becoming a contributor through Patreon. If you go the Substack route, Ting will match your contribution. And if you have already, or you can't do so, please let your friends, family, and coworkers know about this program, and let's grow the audience together. And now, on with the program. The Seville Plans Together era of the update of Charlottesville's comprehensive plan has been underway now since January of 2020. Community engagement plans suffered when the pandemic struck America two months later, forcing public input sessions to be virtual. Despite that, the City Council adopted an affordable housing plan in March, and the initiative held a six-week public input process, which concluded on June 13th. On June 29th, Seville Plans Together held another virtual work session with the Charlottesville Planning Commission to go through what they had learned. But that work session began with an introduction from the newest member of the seven-member advisory group. Let's hear from him. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Karim Habab. I'm honored to be part of the planning commission. Uh, I um, moved to Charlottesville in 2011 uh, as a UVA student, graduated from the architecture school there in 2015. I started working with BRW Architects here in town, been working with them since, and um, yeah, it's been six years with them, and I'm excited to join this commission. It's such a pretty exciting time. Habab is the latest planning commissioner to join the process while it is underway. Liz Russell joined the commission last September to replace a vacancy around the time the initiative was in its second round of community engagement. There are only two commissioners remaining from when the review began in January of 2017. Jennifer Koch of the firm Roadside and Harwell is the project manager for Seville Plans Together. This was our third engagement period for Seville Plans Together, but it was also, um, you know, we're building on earlier work completed by the Planning Commission uh, from 2017 and 2018 with this comprehensive plan update process. There were multiple ways to communicate, including an online survey, direct correspondence with the engagement team, and the ability to leave comments on an interactive version of the future land use map. More on that in a moment. For the first time during this process, the receding of the pandemic meant there could be some in-person events. We held six pop-up events over two weekends, mostly over uh, between May 14th and 16th. And we had a lot of face-to-face conversations at these events. 
There were also two webinars during the public engagement session. A meeting with interested neighborhoods was held on May 18th, and the project's steering committee met on May 19th. More than 400 people responded in an online survey, but the majority of the comments were made via direct correspondence. We received you know, over uh, about 1,130 emails. This is a lot of email comments, and that's great. That's a lot more than we've received in previous phases. Koch said the Charlottesville Low-Income Housing Coalition led a campaign that generated about 500 of that number through June 13th. A new group skeptical of the plan, called Citizens for Responsible Planning, sent in a petition with about 400 signatures, but that number is not reflected in the count. There were over 700 comments from about 225 individuals on the interactive map and around 430 responses to the survey. A full summary of the community engagement is coming at a later date, so for now, I'll refer you to the slides for the preliminary breakdown. There's a link for that in the newsletter. There were also specific comments on the draft housing of the comprehensive plan. A lot of the revisions we made in the housing chapter were focused on pulling in those recommendations from the affordable housing plan. Sort of the main theme we heard about this chapter was a general support for increasing housing density or intensity. Uh, but then, similar to the land use uh, piece, we also heard some concerns about what uh, that potential increase in uh, density or intensity would mean, particularly related to uh, community character. Ron Sessoms of Roadside and Harwell went through some of the feedback, including input from the campaign that was run by the Charlottesville Low-Income Housing Coalition. There were concerns about displacement, particularly among Black and low-income residents throughout the city. There was a desire for more density in historically exclusionary majority white communities. Um, we, we received a few comments that perhaps this future lanes map wasn't going far enough. Sessoms said there was also a push from this campaign to increase the number of units allowed per lot from three, as depicted in the current draft, to four or five. Critiques of the plan were also received. There were concerns around transportation and infrastructure, Particularly considering the increase in density, there were quite a bit of concerns around um, developer intentions and implementation. Um, citizens are very um, skeptical of developers, so there were concerns around um, whether or not, you know, the increase of density, whether or not developers would take advantage of that and, and have negative impact to the community. Sesum said there are also concerns about height in many of the newly created land use designations. He also said the feedback gives geographic data on areas that are not as sold on the plan. Neighborhoods that um, will be experiencing or proposed to experience the most change had the most negative uh, feedback. So communities like Barracks Rugby, Greenbrier, Lewis Mountain, um, north of downtown Rugby Hills, um, those communities did have um, more negative sentiment around the future land use map. Another theme in the survey demonstrates that how one feels about the future land use map might depend on one's financial relationship to the place where they live. Looking at homeowner versus renters, um, there was a higher degree of support uh, for the future land use map from renters and less support from homeowners. And again, with homeowners citing um, concerns around property values, community character, and other um, concerns that directly impact the places that they live and they own. And renters see this as an opportunity to diversify where they can live in the city. Perhaps there's more 
opportunities to rent in communities and neighborhoods that traditionally was out of reach. Planning Commission Chair Hosea Mitchell opened it up to public comment before the seven commissions were allowed to ask questions and then give their thoughts. Let's just hear two for right now. Maddie Green, a new appointee of the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority's Board of Commissioners, wanted the commission to know where comments critical of the draft map came from. Just noting that they came from a lot of communities that were exclusionarily zoned and had racial covenants in the houses. And I think it's um, we can see that that the residents are still advocating for those same policies and, quite frankly, their racist policies in Charlottesville, saying you don't want affordable housing in your backyard or any kind of density is effectively saying you don't want people who make less money than you in your backyard. As part of the engagement process, 11 neighborhood associations submitted that petition with over 400 signatures, asking for the planning process to be slowed down. One of those neighborhood associations was the one for Johnson Village, where Kevin Hildebrand lives. Uh, It has gotten very expensive in the last few years as house prices have gone up, but most of the um, uh, single-family houses are still there, and they're a, a vehicle for wealth development for families who have invested there. And I think the idea of transitioning most of the city to apartments in multifamily um, uh, dwellings where people don't have the ability to improve themselves through ownership is a short-sightedness uh, on the part of the city. Comments went back and forth on this line for quite a while before it went back to the commission for questions and comments. They will be asked to recommend or not recommend the plan at a future public hearing. At the June 29th work session, they first had the chance to ask questions. Later on, we'll hear more of their direct input. Liz Russell went first, and she had a question based on what one of the speakers had asked about the relationship between density and affordability. One thing I heard was questioning, one resident was questioning the results of upzoning that has occurred in cities like um, Minneapolis and I think uh, Chicago. My understanding was that it's sort of like too soon to say, and but it sounds like there's some other reports out there, and I'm hoping, I'm wondering if the risk consultants could provide any insight. Jennifer Koch with Roadside Harwell said the results are not yet in. In, in several of those locations, I've, I think some of those changes were done quite recently, which does make it difficult to say, as you mentioned. Lee Einsweiler of the firm Code Studio will be taking the lead on rewriting the zoning code. He agreed with Koch's assessment. I'm afraid that uh, I have to agree with you. We don't have a lot of information right now that points to any one given solution being uh, the answer to this question. But uh, all of the ideas <clears throat> that are being presented begin to tackle uh, the same problem. If you don't have to have a car, you can save $8,000 a year on average. If you um, uh, can live in a smaller home, you're paying uh, less for your total square footage. On the same topic, Commissioner Tanaya Dowell wanted a direct response to a related question. It was mentioned tonight during public comment and also as I spoke to different Um, residents throughout the city is that um, I'm finding that our residents are feeling that the increased um, density and intensity um, that has been proposed is not actually going to solve our affordable housing crisis. Um, What is your response to that for our constituents? Koch said that land use policy alone will not be the solution. 
I think it's, it's great. People are recognizing that and flagging that, but it's just, we're trying to use land use, uh, potentially allowing for increased intensities throughout the city or some mix of uses that will need to be paired with, um, you know, financial support and initiatives and, you know, other um, support um, in other ways from the city. Alexander Ikafuna, the director of the city's Department of Neighborhood Development Services, agreed with that sentiment. The land use is just a, a, a piece of the pie, you know, uh, uh, and I'm encouraging um, the public to go and read the draft uh, affordable housing, which is on the website, you know. Um, it spells out several recommendations, one of which is land use. Land use is just one, you know, of the few recommendations. The executive summary of the 158-page affordable housing plan states that other recommendations are the designation of $10 million a year in city taxpayer funds to affordable housing projects and making the process more inclusive. The third major recommendation is devoted to land use under the name Adopt Progressive and Inclusionary Zoning Reforms. But how representative has comment been so far? One of the reasons that a previous city council voted in February of 2019 to spend nearly a million dollars on the Seaville Plans Together initiative was a perceived lack of involvement with black residents of Charlottesville. As part of the presentation for the June 29th work session, the consultants broke down previous efforts for the entire comprehensive plan review so far, since the first public input session in May of 2017. At several events that month, 156 people signed in, and 65.71% identified as white, and 34.29% identified as black. In a survey conducted in September and October of 2018, there were 1,182 responses. Nearly three-quarters identified as white and 15.84% identified as black. The first engagement phase of the Seville Plans Together initiative continued a trend toward less participation among black residents. A survey conducted online in May and June of 2020 yielded 1,172 responses. 63% identified as white, 11% identified as black, 6% preferred not to answer, and another 12% left the question blank. An online survey conducted in November and December of last year had much fewer participants with 274 responses, and over a third left the box for race and ethnicity blank. In the current survey, 66 of 430 survey respondents identified themselves as white, and 24% left the item blank. Only 2.3% identified as black. That raised a question from Planning Commissioner Lyle Sola Yates. A big concern from 2017 uh, was diverse representations, especially uh, black and low-income representation. Uh, I'm not really seeing that in these numbers. Um, What do we do? Latoya Thomas of subcontractor Brick and Story said there was a lot of skepticism in the community built up over decades. I think particularly among the black residents that we have spoken with, there's a lot of um, skepticism around the public process overall. There's a lot of skepticism around the city and obviously a lot of very long time frustration uh, for what um, what many, many, many folks feel is a system that's really set up to not serve them adequately. 
Thomas said the pandemic made it difficult to do much of the community engagement work that had been planned. When it was his turn, Commissioner Jody Lehendro noted that the future land use map depicted some areas currently designated as low-intensity residential to the medium-intensity residential category, which would allow up to 8 to 12 units per lot with building heights of up to four stories. In his question, he quoted the provision in Virginia Code that requires planning commissions to prepare and adopt comprehensive plans. For me as a design professional, this seems like a drastic uh, change um, that's a, a conflict. Um, but please uh, help me understand as, as planning uh, professional planners um, how this represents, um, as the Code of Virginia says, a comprehensive plan that's coordinated, adjusted, and harmonious development based upon good land use practices. Koch said the goal is to increase housing stock based on public input. We have heard an urge to have additional housing types allowed uh, or available to people in, in some neighborhoods where they have not been available. Um, the way we've decided to show it is along uh, corridors uh, because we believe that can help to facilitate uh, transit-oriented uh, growth where we are potentially allowing additional density. Um, it could also help to facilitate any sort of other infrastructure improvements that may be needed to go with that. The corridor approach expands on the last major rezoning in 2003, which created specific zoning districts such as West Main Street, Cherry Avenue, High Street, and more. This followed the 2001 Comprehensive Plan, which frequently referred to a 2000 study called the Commercial Corridor Study. If you want to read one thing that defines how we got to this point in Charlottesville, it is that study, produced by Torty Gallis and the firm LPDA really is worth taking a look at it, and there's a link in the newsletter. In 2021, Sesum said the details will come as work on the zoning begins to take place. In the future land use map, you know, it's very general, and we have ranges and heights up to four stories, up to 12 units per lot, and um, that allows us greater flexibility to establish more defined zoning districts in the zoning phase. It certainly would not be appropriate to have four stories in every location that we're showing medium intensity residential because it would be out of character, out of scale, and just not be fitting. Lehendro asked what tools were in place to prevent displacement and further development in Black and low-income communities. Koch said there are tools identified in the affordable housing plan. You know, providing uh, tax abatement or support for uh, owner-occupied rehabilitation or whatnot, um, you know, support for people who may want to add an ADU. Koch said that allowing density in other sections of the city could assist with that issue as well. Meanwhile, as an aside, it is instructive to note that many properties in those neighborhoods continue to sell to owners with the ability to pay large amounts of money for the existing single-family homes that are currently there. Here are three recent examples. A home in the 300 block of 5th Street Southwest in Fifeville sold on May 28th for $520,000. That's 32.35% over this year's assessment. 
a home in the 800 block of Anderson Street in the 10th and Page neighborhood, sold for $575,000, which is 75.73% over the 2021 assessment of $327,200. And in the Rose Hill neighborhood, a home in the 900 block of Henry Avenue sold for $255,000, or 82.8% over the 2021 assessment. Next, it became time for commissioners to make their comments. Commissioner Liz Russell wanted more information on the possibility of an affordable housing overlay district, something that will be discussed at the July 13th meeting of the Planning Commission. I have concern that density for density's sake will not result uh, in, in what we are trying to achieve, and, um, and that, but that something like an affordable housing overlay could um, tip the scales in favor of affordable housing. Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg pushed back on comments from members of the Lewis Mountain neighborhood about additional residential density that would be allowed under the medium-in-density residential category. To me, I think um, a 12-unit apartment building or a six-flex or an eight-flex is small enough that it doesn't really have um, you know, any super appreciable adverse impacts on the neighborhood. And, and an apartment building, a small apartment on your street is, is not going to hurt you. And as well, there are some concerns about physical constraints on lots. Um, We have site plan review processes that will ensure there's adequate infrastructure, sewer, water. Commissioner Dowell returned to the theme of protecting black neighborhoods from further investment from outsiders. We do not want um, them to be gentrified out of the neighborhood. And we also know to make sure um, we reiterate time and time again that home ownership does create generational wealth. Commissioner Lyle Sola Yates brought up a transportation matter. Uh, a major concern that I'm seeing from uh, very uh, high income people is traffic. Uh, they live in their cars. They think most people live in their cars. And for many people, they're right. Um, they're skeptical that we are going to make a transition. And based on our past, they've got a good argument. A lot of the conversation was influenced by an alternate future land use map that has been put forward by members of the Housing Advisory Committee outside of the formal public comment period that closed on June 13th. The idea was discussed at the June 16th Housing Advisory Committee meeting. You can go watch that meeting. There's a link in the newsletter. It does seem to be having a pretty significant influence. And here's a brief overview of the changes suggested. Much of Fifeville, 10th and Page, and the Rose Hill neighborhoods would be designated as a low-intensity residential category with a range of housing types scaled in context with the existing single-family character. The idea would be to preserve homes in the center of the city in neighborhoods historically populated by low-income housing. The proposed medium-intensity residential designation would apply to every single residential district across the city if a certain amount of below-market units are provided by the developer. High-intensity residential would be allowed in more site-specific areas if a yet-to-be-determined number of below-market units are provided. Commission Chair Hosea Mitchell had positive thoughts about this idea, which will be discussed by the Planning Commission at the end of their meeting on Tuesday, July 13th. The ability to protect the low-income communities, but be a little more thoughtful in the way we increase density in, 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 in places like Greenbrier and, um, and, and Lewis Mountain Road.
A lot of the conversation and a lot of the comments that happened after that are kind of out of date by now because this housing advisory committee alternate is going to get significant conversation outside of the process that has already been held to date, which means that I'm going to focus on covering that tomorrow because the meeting concluded with over an hour of additional public comment. And to finally get this newsletter out after two weeks, I'm going to go ahead and just move on for now and refer you to that entire meeting if you would like to watch it. There will be plenty more opportunities for public comment as the plan continues to move through the various public hearing processes. And I really do encourage you to pay attention to what the decision makers are saying, as well as the people who are influencing the decision makers. That's what local democracy looks like. And that's it for this edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a special edition, uh, mostly catching up on the future land use map. I'll be back tomorrow with a more uh, newsy format. Uh, this one I am hoping, though, that it just kind of captures and covers where we are in this changing process. I'm Sean Tubbs, your host, and as I said at the beginning of the program, this program is entirely supported by you guys, the audience, people who will benefit from this work and the time that I spend putting these things together. Uh, this is pretty much what I I want to do for a good chunk of the rest of my life and I really hope that um, you know you can find it somehow to support me either by making a comment a contribution through Substack a contribution through patreon or any number of ways that you can support me again the most important thing though is to send this on to other people the more people who have access to the primary sources which is what this is supposed to be about uh, the better the conversation is going to be uh, hopefully picking apart some of the conversations so it does not become us versus them it becomes more about how do we get to the complications of we i'm your host sean tubbs i'll be back tomorrow as i've already said thanks for listening and stay safe and stay cool out there 